Thank you, folks. If I, I don't know what God said to you in that moment when you're giving him space to, to speak. I um, just want to share what, one of the things he said to me, just because I think it might help other people. Um, what about you, but I hear voices in my head. <laughs> I've got continually things I'm thinking about, you know, uh, just you know, and all kinds of stuff. The thing God said to me is just quieten those voices. So you can hear my voice. So like just voices of fear sometimes. Voices of worrying what other people are thinking. Voices of maybe, I don't know, anxiety, ambition, whatever. Some of you feel you've got to try and prove yourself. All kinds of voices. And God just said, quieten those voices. So make space to hear my voice. And guess what his voice says? You're my son or you're my daughter whom I love and I'm well pleased with you. And then we sang that song. I was thinking about it as we then started that song. And I, I hear the tender, I wish I could remember the lines, the tender whispers in the dead of night or something. Yeah, yeah. Just hear his tender whispers. Okay, let's turn to, because he's spoken to us through his word, scripture. Let's look at it together. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. And let me try to, in this space, this, this blank canvas, um, uh, that Dan spoke about. Let me just try and throw a bit of colour on it, if I could, a bit of paint on it. And I trust, in the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit, to begin to say some things that I think that this new season that we're moving into may be characterised by. I'm going to start um, hmm. Acts one, verse one. In my former book, this is Luke writing. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. In my former, former book, Theophilus, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. There was that word that came about, he's a God of heaven and earth, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is about heaven coming to earth. That's what he spent, spent 40 days after his, between his resurrection and his ascension. That's what he was speaking about. Anyway, mustn't get on to that. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let me just jump over the ascension bit for now, if that's okay, to verse 12. Raises some interesting questions. We won't go there at the moment. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, <clears throat> along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then one more verse, 
from chapter 2, very beginning of it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And then I will teasingly stop there. Because, and we all know what comes next with Pentecost. That's the, that's the beginning of a new day, all right, at Pentecost. Uh, when the church, effectively the New Testament church, is born. <clears throat> um, but I want to talk about a few other things before we get on to that. Um, you've heard us talk about a lot about this, this new day. Well, it's because we felt God speak to us about it. it was a prayer meeting and various voices, various people speaking to us brought it, this whole idea of the new day, and I said before Christmas, it's easy to get cynical because it's quite a common word, isn't it, about the new day, everything always seems to be a, a new day, but we really do sense this time God is speaking, this is a time of transition, the, the ending of one season and the beginning of a new season. So because this was in my mind, you can, um, you can bet that my, I was going to say my, my ears pricked up, but I was reading an email, so my eyes pricked up if that's if that's possible, um, because I got an email from one of the blogs that I subscribed to, and it started like this, Happy New Day. Happy New Day. And um, I thought, you know, well, this is interesting. It was a Happy New Year email, but he, he said it like this. It's, he, he said it like this, we're at the precipice of a new year and a new decade, but as importantly, we're at the dawn of an entirely new day. But that God, you're speaking. We may each get, and his emphasis was slightly different to what mine is going to be this morning, but he says we may, may each get 365 more of these in the coming year, but we aren't guaranteed them. So his emphasis is going to be different, all right? But it's good. He says we get this one. We get this small path of daylight. He's basically saying, you know, live for today. <laughs> Enjoy the moment that God has given you. Don't try to plan everything out. Just live in the world. And there's a truth in that. Jesus taught that. But I want to talk about it as a new day, as in a, a new season. We've come to an end of a season, a season that was quite hard and difficult at times. The night is over and the day is dawning. But I just want to say this about the night. It's not all bad. And God spoke to me during when we were singing carols a few weeks ago. And that beautiful carol, Oh Holy Night. Oh, night divine. It, what were the words it said? I like this. This is, again, my, my, my ears pricked up this time. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. But it does sing, Oh, night divine. The Savior was born. In the night, in the dark and hard and cold place that we felt in at times, God was doing something deep and significant and transforming things. During the winter, the... Charles will say the roots are doing really special, important things that they have to do for spring to come and for growth to come. And so it's not a bad season. It was just a challenging season at times, but a new day is dawning. There's always the ongoing vision and purpose of the church. That doesn't change. Our purpose, our vision is to, is to make the love of God real in the real world. That can look in many, many different ways, in multivarious ways, uh, but it certainly involves us individually and corporately knowing what it is to be loved alive by God and then sharing and expressing that love to one another and to others. That stays the same, but there are different seasons and stages that we go through. So what, what is this new season we're coming into? Well, first of all, 
there's continuity as well as change. So God spoke to us. We felt, in fact, we kind of stumbled into realizing what God was saying a while ago when God spoke to us about the altar, the foundations, and the gates. And so the altar was about making sure our hearts were right with God and with one another. The foundations getting clear exactly on what it is we're building and how we're building and making a decision to say, yep, this is still where God wants us. But then the shift was to be to the gates, and that's the season we're moving into. And the gates speaks of um, moving outwards. So we're moving forward into a new day, and we're moving outwards. In actual fact, again, different things about the new day came at different times to us, but John Naylor shared with me, again, a few weeks ago, um, how God had been speaking to him through Isaiah 60. And... Um, Richard read it this morning to us, the beginning of it this morning to us. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Darkness does cover the earth, earth right now, doesn't it? And a thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your, what? Dawn. The brightness of your dawn. A new day. And in that chapter, as John pointed out to me, it says this in verse 11, I think it is. The gates of God's city are always open. And it says in verse 18, I think it is, uh, the walls shall be called salvation and the gates praise. You see, the walls, of self, the walls of God's house or God's city are not to exclude people. They're not barriers. They're not things of separation. They're things of distinction. Because if we're not different from the world, we have nothing to offer to the world. Okay, so the, the water about our distinctiveness from the world. I may come back to that. We'll see. But the gates are praised. So the gates were, we, 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 like through Alpha, we invite people to come in and to, to praise God, to prize God, to put God first in their lives, to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Or gates that we go out of to make God the praise of the whole earth. For example, so part of what God is saying is, is certainly about gates. It was Alison who had that word for us, and I was talking to her a little bit about it, and she shared a little bit more about what she felt God had said to her about this coming season. And at the same time, I've been thinking about Acts. You know that I'm big into the story shapes our journey. So the story and the stories of Scripture should shape our journey. In one sense, of course, it's what is God saying prophetically, but what has God said in scripture? And how does that shape our journey in in the now? And I've been thinking about the book of Acts. That's why yesterday, a couple of weeks ago or whatever, last week, I encourage you to be reading the book of Acts because I sense in the book of Acts, this is all about mission. This is all about reaching the ends of the earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, um, I just sense that the book of Acts is going to be significant in helping to shape our journey in the stories of the book of Acts and the early church are going to be helpful to shape our journey in this coming season. So it's certainly going to be in the background for me as I'm speaking. I've said to other speakers, feel free to draw from the book of Acts, but don't feel restricted to it. But I want to encourage you, read and meditate on the book of Acts. And and so I'm going to draw out a few things just generally from there today. First of all, again, continuity. One of the things, here's a splash of color, I think that still will characterize us and must characterize us 
is the church is a family. The church is a family of people closely knitted together in love. It's in Acts 2 and Acts 4, for example, you get the most moving and powerful descriptions of a church family and a church community. A church family, by the way, which has just become 3,120 strong. You know, so you can have family, you can have family and still be closely knit together. And so all that God has taught us about relational health and the emotional and relational health so that we can love one another well is still and continues to be absolutely vital because church and church family and community is about healthy kingdom relationships. And as part of that, we're, we've set our hearts on and we've continued to set our hearts on growing a culture that is that represents the kingdom of heaven. Growing a culture in this church family so that, it, that this church family is a piece of heaven on earth. Because you know what? If you're inviting people into the gates, you, you want to invite them into something good, yeah? We want to bring them into something that is good. And we do. We bring them into, we bring them into something which is of heaven, something which is of the kingdom. And so we go after our values, our values about everything coming from our intimacy with God and and. and and him transforming us beneath the surface. And then from that, learning, first of all, to love one another well. Because to be honest with you, as we've always said, how we love one another is in itself missional. It has an impact on the world. See how these Christians love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. So love and relationship is still at the heart. I know, and by the way, this culture that we're, speaking to, we're seeking to grow, that's maybe different in some ways from what we've had before. We're still in the early stages of it. We are. Well, nobody's pretending that we've got it. We're there. In fact, let me just co-opt, seeing as we're talking about the new day, let me co-opt Proverbs 4, verse 18, which talks about the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. In terms of the values, the good and right thing, way of doing things around here, we're still in the first gleams of dawn. We're still just learning them, folks. But I do pray that we're going to pursue them with a passion and see them embedded in us as a church family until they shine like the brightness of noonday. And that's what we're drawing people into. We're drawing into a pe- people into a piece of heaven on earth. So family is still absolutely central to what we're about. But I don't know if any of you have heard on the news recently that the, the Archbishop of York, John Sentamu, steps down this year, and there's a new Archbishop, Stephen Cottrell. And I was listening to him speak on the news just before Christmas, um, and he was being asked, well, what was his, what was his kind of uh, aim? What did he want to do? And he said this, he says, I want to turn the church inside out. I want to turn the church inside out. I want to be outward focused, because he says, when the church is turned in on itself, it's tedious, he says. And he's right, isn't he? He says, I want to turn the church inside out. Another archbishop many years ago said this, the church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. We exist for the world out there. And if you've been reading uh, the Pete Gregg book, How to Pray, he says when the church is never true to itself when it's turned in on itself. So we are a family But we're a family that's not turned inward. We're a family that's turned outward. Because 
the, the major prophecy about the church is this. Through you, through your family, this is to Abraham, through your family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This family does not exist for itself. It exists to take the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Through us, all nations, all families will be blessed. My friend, when, when, we're, not, when we're turned in on ourselves, um, we don't only delay the mission. We distort the nature of family. When we're turned in on ourselves, we don't only delay the mission. We distort the nature of family because families were never meant to be things which are just inward looking. Families are a place of equipping people to go out and change the world, <laughs> to make a difference in the world. But we distort the nature of family because Jesus, you remember, was once doing his usual thing out amongst people, teaching and healing the sick. And some of his disciples came and said, oh, Jesus, your, your mother and your brother and your sister are here and they want, to, they want to talk to you. And Jesus rather shockingly says, well, who are my mother? And my brother and my sister, I tell you, these are my brothers. Those who do the will of God are my family. And so the church family must be people who are obedient to the will of God and to the task that he's given to us to bless all the families of the ends of the earth. So yes, it's family, but it's family turned outward. And so and this is my, my second point. It's family on a mission. And so increasingly... In this new season, our focus has got to be and will be, I believe, this is another color I'm just throwing on the canvas, missional. Um, Acts was all about mission. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was all about mission. Read the book of Acts and you'll see headings, Paul's missionary journeys. It's all about taking the kingdom to the ends of the earth. I believe, personally... In this, there will be new expressions and new forms and new ways of doing evangelism. Don't get stuck in the old way of doing it. And I'm not going to suggest what those might be yet. I know God's going to surprise us. Um, but it will certainly include this. Blessing all the families on the face of the earth. Blessing the nations. Because... Do you know that phrase, all through you all the families of the earth will be blessed? Paul, writing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, tells us that that was the gospel being preached by God. That's evangelism. Go and bless all nations. So whatever else it looks like, it will look like us being a blessing to our community around us. It will look like us serving and blessing and helping to transform our community. I actually, it, it will be the love of God made real in the real world. And people say, well, you know, that's a bit general. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I don't know, all kinds of things. It means 180 people being served a Christmas meal in this very room on Christmas Day who would otherwise have been sitting alone in their houses. It means people being set free from death. It means people having hands laid on them and their bodies being healed. You know, it, it means God giving us a word about somebody which we would not otherwise have known. And we tell them and it just opens up a whole conversation and a whole life to God. It means befriending that person at the school gate who looks so lonely and, and down. And you, and, and you just take an interest in them and you listen to them and you pay attention to them. And then they feel loved and accepted and 
as a transforming friendship arises out of it. It's, it's all kinds of ways that the love of God is made real. I like what Richard, if you, had, if you didn't hear it or you haven't heard it, I encourage you to listen to what Richard and Judith did on mission in the Roots and Foundations series that we did last year. Excellent. And they talked about three things that we do. We embody the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Jesus is the, the king of the kingdom. It's all about him. It's all about his kingdom. We embody the kingdom. We enact the kingdom. And that can be through acts of love and service. And it can be through acts of power and miracle. We enact the kingdom. And we explain the kingdom. That's why I love Alpha. Because we're just explaining to people who are already awakening. Because they've experienced something of the love and blessing of God. They're awakening to God. And we get to explain to them what this kingdom is all about. It's all of those. And there's things that we do together. There's some things that we can only do together. We couldn't have fed 180 people if there wasn't a team of people to work together to do that. So sometimes it takes people coming together to do it. But it's, and we thank God for, for Yvette and her team and what Jav does with, with the bikers breakfast. And, and I think of Susanna and the great work that she does with Aspire. There's things that people can get involved in. But you might say, well, I can't get involved in some of those. And that's fine. Nobody needs to feel guilty about that. But you, we, every one of us got an opportunity in our everyday world to be used by God. And we need to see ourselves going out into this world every day on a mission. Commissioned by God. In fact, I believe that's part of what um, Yvette's word about repositioning is about. God wants to reposition some of us in our everyday world so we see it differently. I believe in the new day, it's time to wake up to the opportunities that are before us. What's in our hand? You know, whether it's, a, I don't know, a briefcase or a book or a stethoscope or whatever it might be. What's in our hand in our everyday world? My friends, we have been, when we think of mission, we've been, our arena has been far too small. We've limited ourselves to the church when our arena is the whole world. And we are on a mission, every single one of us in our everyday worlds. I believe we need, this is going to be one of the things that characterize our new day. Each one of us can go into our worlds. And it might be a job, it might be something else. I don't know, but something in your everyday world where because you are alive in the love of God and you've got an opportunity and you've got a gift, you, you know that you're commissioned there to make a difference. We have to discover again properly the meaning of the priesthood of all believers. Martin Luther introduced the whole idea of the priesthood of all believers in the Reformation. And sometimes Christians have taken it to mean this, that we all get to lead the church. And some, they've tried that over the years. It's disastrous. There are some people that God calls to lead churches. What it's getting at is not that we're all called to lead the church. It's that when you are out in your hospital ward or your classroom or your school gate or your office or your factory, you are a priest in that place. The priesthood of all believers is not about what we do in the church. It's about what we do in the world. And a priest, by the way, is somebody who went into the presence of God, received something from God, and then went out and imparted it to others. Whether it was instruction or impartation. We need to discover the priesthood of all believers as priests in our everyday world. That's something we need to do. So it's not just about the things that we do together, the projects, if you like. Those are important. And please, let's not be into either or thinking. 
It's both and. You don't have to devalue the one in order to value the other. Both are important. All are important. I want to read you a story, if I may. got time, I think. About somebody who, for me, I, I've, I've read it a couple of times now. If you've, been, if you've read all the way through the How to Pray book by... Well, that's the wrong pin. Hang on a minute. That was my phone one. Oh, I hope it's not disappeared. No, it hasn't. Um, you may have read this already. I'd already read it because I'd read it in the original Brenning Manning book that he's quoting from. Um, this is what I mean by mission in the everyday world, or just mission about being loved into life so that you share the love of God and make the love of God real in the real world. It's about a man called Dominique Wallum. I, think, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, Wallum. I'll try to sound a bit French and then it might be right. Um, and Brendan Manning knew this guy. He was a friend in a monastery in France. And I'm going to read to you about him. I get moved by this every time I read it. And it's from a different tradition to what we're used to, but please don't dismiss it because of that. And maybe, ah, well, you'll see what I mean. Dominique was a lean and muscular six foot two inches, always wearing a navy blue beret. And he, he learned at the age of 54 that he was dying of inoperable cancer. I know because we're good Pentecostal charismatics, we want to just lay on hands and see him totally healed and transformed. I, I get that. I, I understand that. But just bear with the story because God uses him in a different way. With the community's permission, he moved to a poor neighborhood in Paris and took a job as a night watchman at a factory. Returning home every morning at 8 a.m., he would go directly to a little park across the street from where he lived and sit down on a wooden bench. Hanging around the park were marginal people, drifters, winos, has-beens, dirty old men who ogled the girls passing by. Dominique never criticized, scolded, or reprimanded them. He laughed, told stories, shared his candy, accepted them just as they were. From living so long out of the inner sanctuary, that is, in the presence and the intimacy with God, he gave up a peace, a serene sense of self-possession and hospitality of heart that caused cynical young men and defeated old men to gravitate towards him. His simple witness lay <clears throat> in accepting others as they were without questions and allowing them to make themselves at home in his heart. Dominique was the most non-judgmental person I have ever known. He loved with the heart of Jesus Christ. One day, when the ragtag group of rejects asked him to talk about himself, Dominique gave, him, gave them a thumbnail description of his life. Then he told them with quiet conviction that God loved them tenderly and stubbornly, that Jesus had come for rejects and outcasts just like themselves. His witness was credible because the word was enfleshed on his bones. Later, one old timer said, the dirty jokes, the vulgar language and the leering at girls just stopped. One morning, Dominique failed to appear on his park bench. The men grew concerned. A few hours later, he was found dead on the floor of his cold water flat. He died in the obscurity of a Parisian slum. Dominique Vallome never tried to impress anybody, never wondered if his life was useful or his witness meaningful. He never felt he had to do something great for God. He did keep a journal. 
It was found shortly after his death in the drawer of the nightstand by his bed. His last entry is one of the most astonishing things I've ever read. All, this is what he wrote, all that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything but the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants it to, my life will be useful through my word and witness. If he wants it to, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about that. In Dominique Vallome, I saw the reality of a life lived entirely for God and for others. After an all-night prayer vigil by his friends, he was buried in an unadorned pine box in the backyard of the Little Brothers Monastery in Saint-Rémy. A simple wooden cross over his grave with the inscription, Dominique Vallome, a witness to Jesus Christ, said it all. More than 7,000 people gathered from all over Europe to attend his funeral. I don't think he would have been concerned. I find I just am moved by that story every time. Every time I read it. There, that, you know, that's, that's what we mean, folks, when we talk about being loved alive. Loved into life so that all that matters is the love of God. And then getting to share that with others, the winos and the monsters. He made his everyday world, or his every night world, on that park bench. And just ministered and imparted the love of God to people. That's what we mean when we talk about missions. Not any great project. Please, let's not stop. Let's stop if we're doing this at all. I hope we're not waiting for somebody to give us a job or a title or a project. Let us just get out into our everyday worlds and love people with the love of God. I believe that's another characteristic of this new season is an emphasis on mission. Finally, and I, I, I'm not going to say too much on this because I, I want to focus on it next time I get to speak on, <clears throat> in a few weeks' time, but it's a family on a mission, but it's a family on a mission in the life and power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it, says, you will, it says, you will receive power, power from on high, and then you will be my witnesses. In fact, Jesus said this, he said, he said, don't move. You stay in Jerusalem and you don't move until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Um, they, in other words, what they do, create, don't, don't, don't do stuff, just create space for God to move. Somebody, apparently there's a, they knew Jesus was coming again, the Holy Spirit was coming, but it reminds me of a bumper sticker that they had in America years ago, apparently, which just said, you know, Jesus is coming again, dash, look busy. Uh, it's the opposite. Jesus is coming again, and the Holy Spirit is coming. Make space. Create space. Just wait upon the Lord. Don't you move. There's a lot that's going to be done. That's got to be done. But we cannot, we must not, even try to do it without the Holy Spirit. And um, the needs of our world are too great for us to meet them with our own natural resources. The needs of our world need a supernatural God (laughs) and a people who are empowered by a supernatural God. I agree with Bill Johnson that the the church owes the world a supernatural God. 
And the book of Acts, we know, is, is, is full. It's punctuated with power. It's full of miracle and sign and wonder. And we need, and, and all of us, all of us have experienced amazing answers to prayer at different times. Well, I, I trust that we have. And we may not think that we're amazing, but that's probably because of the way that we're looking at them. But talk to Denise about, you know, when she went to hospital a few weeks ago and said, no, it's not there anymore. <laughs> that lump that they thought was it's not there anymore. Or speak to Val about that, what's happened to her tooth. You know, we do, the miracles are all around us. We just don't always see them and celebrate them. And we want more of that, don't we? We want to see more of the power of God in miracle and signs and wonders. But I'm very purposefully saying this. It's in the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the power of the Holy Spirit, because there is a danger. In reading Acts, there's a danger. That we get so caught up with the sign and the wonder and the miracle and the, and the, the dramatic. It's important, by the way. It's, I'm not, it's, it's not either or thinking again. It's both and. But when Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, you can read about it in John 14 to 16. This is what he said to them. He said, I'm going to send to you another counselor who's just like me. And he's going to take what is of me and he's going to make it known to you. Um, in other words, the Holy Spirit was there to make Jesus more real to them. And when these guys were moving in miracle and sign and wonder and preaching the gospel, it says this of the, of, of the religious people around them. They took note that these were not special men, ordinary men, but they took note of this. They had been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us, but it's not just for the dramatic and the miracle and the sign and wonder that we want that. It's for a whole new dimension of life that's lived with Jesus. Folks, I, I realize I'm, I'm, I'm encroaching on stuff that I, I, I haven't got the words, I haven't got the time to fully explain, and I, I, and I don't want to preach my next sermon now, so I'm going to leave some of it, but I, I believe God wants to bring us not just and only into the obvious displays, the dramatic power of the Holy Spirit. We want that for sure. This is not either or. But I, I believe he wants to take us deeper into a life with Jesus. The Holy, that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. I find myself, as I'm thinking about the life and power of the Holy Spirit, thinking at least as much about the fruit of the Spirit as I am the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was aware of this challenge when he wrote to the Corinthians. He, he said to them about spiritual gifts, including signs and miracles, and so on. He says, Eagerly desire them. They're good. They're fine. But right in the middle, he took 1 Corinthians 13. But let me show you the most excellent way. It's a life of love. This is how we show we've passed over from death to life, that we love one another, said John. And so this life in the spirit that the God wants to bring us into is going to be about deep intimacy with Jesus, living life from that place, and, and, and being transformed. I want to be in a church where we see miracles and signs and wonders and amazing answers to prayer. I do want that, but I want something even more than that. I'm just, can I just speak personally for a moment? This is just me speaking. You could all, I'm sure many, this will find an echo in many of your hearts. I want to be in a church that really looks like Jesus. That looks and sounds and... I don't know, listens and loves and 
like Jesus does. And I think it's the Holy Spirit who's come to make that transformation and to make that real for us. That's a little teaser because I'm going to speak on that next time a little bit more, if that's okay. But we ought to be in this new season, a family still, but a family turned outward, a family that's on a mission together and in our everyday worlds. And it's all done in the power of the Holy Spirit, but yes, in the life, a whole new dimension of life in the Holy Spirit. That's going to characterize, I believe, there's some of the colors anyway on the canvas. Let me ask you to finish with a question. What was the thing that they were doing before this new day arrived in Pentecost, before the day of Pentecost, that new day? What were they doing? They were all together praying. Thank you. Well done. Tick. Actually, they were all together. One thing, they had to organize some stuff first. They had to organize who was going to replace Judas and then a few other things needed to be organized. Guess what, folks? We, I hope when you come on Wednesday night, there'll be a few kind of organizational things, things that we've got to address and look at together. It's got to be, it's got to be considered. But the primary thing that they were doing was praying. And I really just want to encourage you to finish. Fully engage with this season of prayer and fasting. Um, if you can, if you're able to, come early on a Sunday morning where we pray together. I know there's prayer going on in different ways, but there's something about all coming together as a church to lift up, to be in the same place with one heart and to lift up our voices with one voice to God. There's something really powerful in that, and I believe it's going to launch us into this new season in this new day. So I want to encourage you in corporate prayer together whenever and whatever that looks like. Amen? And God will launch us into our new day. Let's stand together, shall we? Tell you what, Dan, you lead us in prayer, please. Sorry. I need to go and take a drink of water. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are and your amazing love. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And we thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to live in us and to live in each of us. And God, as we look forward to this year and as we look forward to all you're going to do in this place and amongst us, Lord God, we just want to, we just want to experience more of you. We just want to see more of you, more of you in each other, more of you in our lives, Lord, that we might look like you, that we might look like your son, Jesus. And so God, as we go from this place, Lord God, would you be with us would you speak to us Lord God would you remind us every day every every hour Lord God would you remind us to make space for you so that we can be transformed into your likeness Jesus Amen